This morning, turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to finish the chapter. Uh, Chapter 16 is really uh, Paul's farewell, but in it some tremendous truths, and really, it's kind of almost a Christian's job description here at the end. It's actually a wonderful passage of Scripture. And the reason that I find it so uh, good for me personally is the book of 1 Corinthians, when you really look at it, because it was written as a letter in response to a bunch of problems, there are a lot of problems in it. There's a lot of stuff in it. You look at it, man, not another heavy thing. And so it seems to me that as Paul finishes up this letter, that he writes this encouragement to them, and he reminds them of who we are in Christ and, and what we're really here for. Because a lot of people are just negative. They seem to find the negative thing in everything. And I think when people get corrected at times, or maybe there's something that's going on in our lives and God speaks the truth right into it, we kind of almost, our response is to kind of shy away from the Lord. It's like, oh, God doesn't love me. And we kind of do the Eeyore kind of Christian thing. We wander away, oh, well, you know, kind of thing. So some people are like that. And I, I think that as Paul very frequently does, most of the time does, he, he ends with a word of encouragement to us to remind us that we're the body of Christ. We have a mission to accomplish while we're here on earth. And so as we finish up with these final instructions, I pray that we will be blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this church, and thank you for how you are working in it and through us. And we pray this morning as we now, uh, again, just offer up our, our minds and our hearts for you to speak your truth into, God, that we would be encouraged and built up and strengthened Lord, prepared for what lies ahead in this new year. and God, we're just grateful that you would take the time, uh, Lord, that you've created and and impart these things to us. And so, Lord, help me to get out of the way and for your word to speak for itself. We pray that you would bless us and anoint this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 5, it says, I'm coming to visit you after I've been to Macedonia. For I'm planning to travel through Macedonia, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation again because I think this particular uh, passage, the the basic context is a little bit clearer than it is, uh, certainly than the King James or the New King James. But perhaps I'll stay a while with you, possibly all winter, and then you can send me on my way to my next destination. So Paul begins by saying, Look, I have some plans that I've made, and it's so important for us to recognize that the Lord expects us to make some plans. Uh, Very often, I think, Christians falsely get this hyper-spiritual view that I'll just sit on my hands and do nothing, and somehow God will bless it. Paul makes plans, but we're going to see what he does with those plans next. It is eminently important that we allow the Lord the opportunity to be the adjuster of our plans, the alterer, if you will, of our plans, uh, the reconfigurer of our plans. It, it is best that we do make plans, but that we also at the same time say, Lord, I'm yours. Whatever you want to do, that's what I want to do. What is your perfect will I, I want to accomplish? Some people just sit around and well, you know, the Lord's going to just have to send me a, you know, a text message or something. We've gotten so, 
used to these instantaneous responses from our modern world that we sometimes think God works that way. And occasionally he does, but most of the time he does not. And he's waiting for us to engage before he gives us the next piece of the puzzle. And as we look at this remaining piece of this chapter and really the remainder of this letter, it's really Paul saying, look, here's what I plan on doing. You know, if if you look on a map, you're going to see something kind of crazy. If you look at Corinth over here on the Greek peninsula and you look at Ephesus over here in modern-day Turkey or northern Lebanon, and you look at where they're at, they're only 112 miles apart by sea. But they're over 500 miles apart by land. And so our natural inclination, I'll just take the shortcut. That's what we do in our Western world, amen? Hey, I'll just hop the ferry, I'll get on the boat, I'll go over and, you know, I'll just pop right over there from Ephesus to Corinth. I want to come. But sometimes God works the long way, doesn't he? Anybody experienced that in your life to where it's just like, man, I thought I was going to go from here to here, and God ends up taking us the long road. He takes us through maybe a trial. Maybe he takes us through some difficulty. Maybe some heartache or some hardship. Maybe God actually wants to work in the extent of that lengthy journey to do something that he could not do, just hop in a jet. And I like to look at it that way. You see, a lot of times when I travel, I mean, I like to take the direct flights if I can. You know, if I'm going to leave here and say I'm going to Brazil, I'd like to fly directly from LAX to Sao Paulo, Brazil. But very often I end up going to Houston and then Miami and then stopping in Rio and then to, you know, and whatever. But it's amazing how many times in that longer journey the Lord opens up some opportunity that I would not have otherwise had happen. We need to look at the Lord's will that way. We have a plan, and that plan is maybe a direct point A to point B. But in the way the Lord is working, maybe he wants to go a little bit more circuitous in his routing of our lives. And perhaps he's going to take us all the way around through what would be part of modern-day Montenegro and through the Baltic coast and down along through the edge of Croatia and, and through some areas that are a little bit dangerous, to be quite frank. Maybe he wants to take us through some danger. Maybe he wants to bring us through a trial. Maybe he has actually purposed for us to go through something that we would not choose for ourselves. Make sure that you're making plans, but leave the door open for the Lord to change your itinerary. Amen? He's going to look very heartily at, at what comes ahead and he says in verse second, in, or excuse me, in verse seven, where I do not want to see you now. That kind of sounds almost mean spirited, doesn't it? And many of the translations, if you look at this, it's kind of like he's saying, you know, eh, I don't even want to be with you guys. If you look at the original context, that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, it's not time. It isn't the Lord's timing. I believe that God has called me on another journey. Though I want to spend time with you, it's simply not time. I do not want to see you now, but make only a passing visit, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. Do you see the difference in reading that in a positive way and a negative way? 
Can I ask you to look for the positive things that God would show you through his word? Sometimes I think as we read God's word, because we're sinners, amen? And because we sin, amen? Because our lives sometimes are a little bit not the way they're supposed to be, amen? Sometimes we have a tendency to look at God's word the way we think we should be treated because of who we are. It's kind of like little kids. Isn't it interesting how they know they're in trouble and they come in the house and you can see them shirking away from mom and dad and they don't want to get anywhere near you and you kind of find them hiding in their room and you ask them, oh, this is wrong. They're actually looking for that trouble that they think they're in. Please don't be that negative person with regard to the the love that God has for you. Does he chasten us? Yes. Does he have to spank us every once in a while? Yes. Are, Are we rebellious to his plans on occasion? Yes. Do we deserve to get whooped every once in a while? Yes. But God's heart towards you is to not beat you up. He loves you with an undying love. And that heart of love is the preeminent thing that Paul's actually going to end this with. He says, you love each other the way I love you. You see, we need to read God's word, I believe, most importantly, to receive from him his love. Not just his correction. Not just his instruction. Though it's absolutely approved for those things. Scripture declares that of itself. It is for reproof and correction. But it's for instruction in righteousness. And it certainly is a love letter written to us. So when you read this with a positive spin, I don't want to see you right now. I want to make only a passing visit. I'd like to spend some time with you. You see how you can read that very differently if you take the time to look at it in the context? If the Lord permits. And so Paul could have just hopped on a boat and cruised across the Aegean, you know, kind of take his little Mediterranean sunbath and, you know, go over there. But he was going to take some time. And and I don't think that in, in many cases we realize the value of the longer journey. We kind of, as a people, as a nation, in, in our American way of life, we like zero tolerance for, for difficulty. Amen? We kind of like the smooth sailing, don't we? I mean, I think most people, if you're, well, if you're sane, um, you don't exactly go looking for problems. You know, you're not so, man, boy, I hope I'm really afflicted this week. You know, you get up, boy, I hope I get some boils or something, you know, going on today. I just haven't really had any major problems lately, so I'm kind of hoping maybe I'll lose an eye. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody thinks that way. And yet, at the same time, though we shouldn't think that way, and we should have a positive view, we should not absolutely abhor the things that are difficult either, because they're important. How many of us can look back on our lives and say, the most important lessons we've ever learned in life, we learned the hard way. Amen? We, we goofed up, we messed up, and God met us in that place and corrected us and caused us to see his plan. And, and so sometimes those obstacles are opportunities, are they not? Are not obstacles opportunities for the Lord to work in a different way in our lives? So I look around this room, I know most of you in, in some way. And I can tell you, I see a lot of people who have, who have hurdled some obstacles, who've had difficult things in their lives, who've gone through stuff. And I can tell you, looking at you, you've grown. 
And God's worked in your lives in ways that you probably wouldn't have chosen for yourself. And I believe that's Paul's way of looking at this journey. He could have gone straight across the Aegean. He could have just hopped a ferry, got on a ship in Ephesus, gone right across that short 112 miles, probably a two, maybe three-day trip, and instead he says, hey, I'm going to take the long way around through Macedonia because I want to be able to really spend some quality time with you. Parents, can I tell you something? There's no substitute for quantity and quality both in the lives of your children. You must invest in your kids. God invests in our lives. They, they don't want more stuff. They want more time. And we're going to get into this when we study the book of Ephesians. They want you. And the same is true with us and the Lord. God wants to spend time with us, and he wants us to spend time with him, and consequently, he wants us to spend time with others. It's one of the things that I think is is perhaps a little bit of a weakness in in our modern church. We kind of come and go, and not so much here, because we're we're a little strange for Southern California. But we kind of come and go, and we pass each other, and it's just like, oh, hope you're doing good, you know. No substitute for time. And Paul recognizes that. He says, you know what, I'm going to take the long way around so that when I get there, I can spend some time with you. I want to spend time with you. And he could see that that more difficult way was the way of blessing. You, you see, as Alan Redpath rightly said in his commentary on Isaiah, he, he said that you cannot receive the blessings of the Lord without the buffetings of life. It's really hard. And it's like this, and we see this in our world. People who just simply are given everything don't appreciate it, do they? As a general rule, I mean, occasionally people will appreciate something that's just truly a gift. But when we have to go through a difficulty to get someplace, when you've really earned it, if you will, when, you, when you've gone through some heartache or hardship and you survived that journey and you've grown, there is a blessing that comes from that buffeting. There's something that happens to us that makes it more real and more genuine. And I say to you, that's what Paul's laying out here. So in verse 8, he moves on and he says, And in the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost, for there is a wide open door for great work here. Can I point out to you that there is a timing in the things of the Lord? You know, sometimes, and I'm sure you've all experienced this, you know, it's not a good time to share the gospel with somebody when they're completely inebriated, is it? It just isn't. You know, they're drooling, coming out of one side of their mouth. It's like, hey, bro, let me share with you the good news that Jesus Christ has come and died for your sins. And they're like, huh? You, you see, there's timing in all things in the Lord. And sometimes it's just simply not the Lord's time. And so what Paul points out here is it's a real good time in Ephesus. I know you guys have need, but I want to make use of the time that I have right here, right now. And we need to look for that in our lives. Say, you know what? God's placed me right here, right now, in this place. What am I doing with it? There was a great open door in Ephesus. 
But it was not an easy door. And we can find the story of that as you read the book of Acts, especially Acts 19 and 20. And you realize what's going on here. This was not an easy thing for Paul. It wasn't like he was saying, hey, the weather's nice. And, you know, I mean, I've got this chair and I'm looking out over the Aegean and I'm just having a great time. There was a specifically open door that actually included some hardship. And Paul said, I'm going to stay right here because people are getting saved. I'm having an impact. I'm doing something that matters for the kingdom. So I'm going to park myself here in Ephesus, and I'm going to wait a while. So I'm going to spend spring here in Ephesus. I'm going to summer my way around through Macedonia. And by the time I get there, you know what? Pretty good place to spend the winter there in Corinth. That's out there on the end of the Greek peninsula. Not a bad place to be. And so he makes use of the time that he has. And when a door opens up, he makes sure he goes through the door and accomplishes what's through the door. A lot of Christians get hung up kind of being a little bit willy-nilly with their life. And they bounce from here to there, and they're involved in this one thing for 10 minutes, and then this thing for another 20, and this thing for a day. And then they come back to the original thing. Okay, I want to teach Sunday school, and they do that for two weeks. And then, well, I want to do this. And, And before you know it, what they've actually done is accomplished virtually nothing. Stick to it. Stay where you're at. If God hasn't told you to move on, if you're not absolutely certain that the Lord's pushed you off on some new journey, then be excellent where you are right now. Just do what God's laid out before you today as best as you possibly can. And enjoy it. Even if there's a battle ahead. And there was a battle ahead in Ephesus. Uh, The silversmiths' riots were going to take off, and here Paul's at the center of it. They're talking about killing him, but he's staying the course. He's being faithful. He's doing what God's laid out for him today. And he says, there's a wide open door for a great work here, although many may oppose me. Notice he doesn't shy away from the danger. He isn't put off by the fact it isn't going to be easy. Can I also remind you the truth that when you endeavor to do anything for the Lord, you can almost be certain that the enemy is going to come unglued and come against you. If you resolve to get up in the morning and have devotions, your kids are going to become demonically possessed. If you decide you're going to teach Sunday school, you're probably going to get a third-eyed zit right in the middle of your forehead. You're, you know, you're going to go through things in life because you've chosen to serve the Lord as a direct result of your desire to be well-pleasing to the Lord. You're going to have some problems. But know this, greater is he who's in you than he's in this world. Amen. And through him, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Amen? You you see, that's where we come from. We don't come as a bunch of losers. Oh, man, a battle's going to happen. I better, you know, go hide somewhere. We see the battle and we run to it. We see the war and say, what's my spot? We see the wall that's broken down and we build it. We see the opportunity and we say, Lord... Tell me what I'm supposed to do with this opportunity. No, somebody else's. You know, it's a little too dangerous for me. Paul was a warrior. I love that about him. He fought. He didn't always take the easy way out. He goes on in verse 10. 
And he says, and when Timothy comes, don't intimidate him. Why do you suppose he says that? Because Timothy, like so many in the church, was a young man. And he was new in ministry. And he was probably, as far as we know from church history, a relatively timid young man. And when you come into a situation where there's been some difficulties, when you come into a church that maybe is fraught with some factions, or perhaps, remember, this one started with division, didn't it? You see, when you come into that situation, it's intimidating. Because you got all the old guard. You got everybody standing around that's been there that, you know, had their membership card stamped 20 consecutive years. And, and, and they've been serving in that one spot. Can I say to you, one of the great joys of being in ministry and being a part of this ministry or any other in a wonderful way is raising up the next generation. Saying, you know, Lord, what are we going to do to bring those young people up to, to where they have a, a fervent love for Christ? You know what would bless me is if God takes me home, that nothing changes. That, that somebody steps up from behind that's been raised up in the Lord and encouraged in the Lord and grown in the Lord and blessed in the Lord has said, you know what, I want to go to Bible college, I want to be ready for what God does, and so that we are raising up those young people in Christ. It's one of the reasons our next project is the new high school room. It's one of the reasons that we've invested in those things. It's one of the reasons that we do what we do. Go go visit the high school ministry on Wednesday night. There's 30-something kids down there, and they're blessed, and they're being raised up, and they're being trained in worship. Our Wednesday night worship team is mostly high schoolers that just graduated and or young college students. We're raising up that next generation. We don't want to intimidate them. We want to encourage them. We want them to grow. Maybe they aren't as, as technically adept. Maybe they're not so skilled or gifted in teaching, but we want them to be encouraged, not intimidated. We want to raise them up and cause them to grow. For he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Do you realize that whenever someone's engaged in the Lord's work, just because they don't do it as well as you doesn't mean that they're not doing it? Hallelujah. Can we say amen to that, please? Yeah, because if, if that's our view, then we'll never train up the next generation. Because you know what? Let's be honest. I'm better than all of you. <laughs> you know why I said that? Because at times we think that way, don't we? Yeah, we do. Hey, don't lie to me. We do. You know, well, you know, if I have to train them, then you know, then I'm going to have to watch them, and they're going to make mistakes, and I'll have to clean up their mistakes. Anybody else thought that? Raise your hands, you liars. Yeah, we do. We we all, to some degree, as we grow and we prosper and we get better at things, we're just like, well, you know, you know, they don't teach like me, or they don't talk like me, or they don't have. Get over yourself. We, we want to see the Lord work in people's lives. And that's men, that's women, that's young, that's old. The qualification is serve the Lord with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Whatever you got, serve the Lord with it. You may not have what I have. But what you have, serve the Lord with it. And encourage people to serve the Lord with it. 
That's our goal. That's this encouragement at the end of this letter. He's doing the Lord's work just as I am. He's not doing the same work, but he's serving the same Lord. And what he's really saying is what he does is just as important as what I do. Do you realize that in this church, we have something on the order of 60 people serving in different capacities in this church? Everything from children's ministry to duplication of CDs to computers to sound to hospitality to helps to prayer chains and, and youth ministry and nursery and technical things and grounds and housekeeping. There's, there's a bunch of people at work doing God's, God's work. God's will, God's way. And every last one of them is important. They don't all have my job, but they have their job. And without them doing their job, we all suffer. We're all not blessed like we are today. And so encourage people. Don't let anyone treat him with contempt. Send him on his way with your blessing when he returns to me, for I expect him to come with the other believers. He's saying, you know what? Uh, He's going to get used in my life. Can I tell you, there, there are very few things that are more joyous than watching our kids in this church grow up and be used of the Lord. And whether that's my own sons or... Kiana up here doing worship or looking at the young ladies that are helping out with children's ministry. I've dedicated some of these kids. I've watched them grow since they were mighty midgets. And to see them being used of the Lord, that means we're doing something right. And that's basically what Paul's saying. Send him on his way. Get him excited about serving the Lord. In other words, wind him up all the way. Get the spring tension. You know, some of us are so old, we remember those wind-up toys. They were not battery operated. They were not remote control. They were wind up and they went, and they just went, but get them going forward. Get them moving towards the Lord, towards the kingdom things that will have an impact in this world. We don't know who all these people were, and we don't need to know who all these people were, but we know something about them. They were serving the Lord. They had been invested in, and now they were investing. That's the way it works, family of God. Please don't come here, and this is not a chastisement, it's a challenge. Please don't come here and get filled up and then hold it to yourself. Would you find somebody that you can invest in? If it's your own kids, absolutely, that's the first place you should be investing. But find someone, something, somewhere that you can invest. Take the things that God's doing in your life and transmit that wisdom and that glory of the Lord to someone else. Take the time. Just say, you know what? Lord, for you, I want to be used. I want to invest in something that matters. Remember what we saw last week? We want kingdom treasure. We want things that matter when we get to heaven. I don't want to just be really good at what I do here on earth. I want it to matter when we get to heaven. We need to all do that, not just me, all of us. Verse 12, And now about our brother Apollos, I urged him to visit you with the other believers, but he was not willing to go right now. He will see you later when he has opportunity. In other words, he, just like Paul, was so engaged in the things that God had already called him to do that he was going to stay there. And he's staying there with these people with whom he was privileged and overjoyed to serve with. 
says, you know what? I'm already being used right now. I want to go see the people in Corinth. I'm being used of the Lord, but I'm going to wait on the timing of the Lord. When God says it's time to go, it's time to go. I have this all the time. I, I get emails virtually daily from, from the pastors in Brazil. And most of the time, there's something going on in their lives. And part of me goes, oh, if I could just fly down there. If I could just spend some time with them. Maybe I, I could walk them through that situation. I could be there with them. You're going to find as you grow in the Lord, people that you've invested in, you're going to want to do things you cannot do. It's not God's time. You want to go, but you can't go. You, you want to be there with them, but you can't be there with them because you can't do everything. And if you attempt to do everything, again, as Alan Redpath in his commentary on Nehemiah very wisely said, he says, the need does not constitute a call. Just because there's a need doesn't mean you've been called to meet it. Maybe you've just been simply called to pray. Maybe you've been called to watch and pray. Maybe you've been called to just simply be that listening ear that can be the encouragement. Just because there's a need doesn't mean you should necessarily go. These guys get this. Apollos got it. Paul got it. We have to share ministry. Do you understand that? We have to share ministry. We have to invest in others, grow them up, raise them up, encourage them to go, and then be there for the timing of the things that God's called us to actually do. Not do everything. Because the person who does everything, and trust me, I speak from experience, woeful experience at times, if you attempt to do everything yourself, you'll become embittered, You'll become powerless. You'll become prayerless. You will, in essence, become very, very, very worthless to the kingdom because you'll be so engaged in doing everything, you'll do nothing well. Amen? We need to find out what God wants us to do and with zeal and wonderment, do it. But don't try and do everything. That's what other people are for. We need to let other people grow and be used in the Lord. And that's what this list really is. This is who Timothy is and Apollos is and Stephanos is and Fortunatus and Acacius. These guys are all people that Paul invested in. He said, that's their ministry. Let them do it. And if you can continue to invest by helping them, then do that. But you don't have to go do it just because maybe they're not doing it the way you would do it. If you attempt to do everything, you are doomed to do everything. If you attempt to do everything, you are doomed to do everything. Because no one will meet your standards. No one will want to help. No one will be there when you fall. And you'll have to do it yourself. You're doomed. Raise people up, turn them loose, and let them do it. And he wraps this up now with a number of statements. He says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Man, what a list. These wonderful men, the, these people whom Paul had invested in, and by the way, there's Aquila and Priscilla. There were a number of ladies involved in, in Paul's life. Chloe. We see these, these people 
And he says to them, he says, I, I want you to just hear a couple of things from me. Stand strong in the faith. Just, just be who you are in the Lord. Stand guard. Do your part. As he makes these statements, they're almost in a, in kind of a military context. He, standing guard's part of every church's calling, amen? Because you remember their problems. It was divisions, pride, sin. They were disorderly. They had some really bad doctrine. Part of our job is to stand guard. But not all of our, our job is to stand guard. We're also to stand strong in who we actually are. We're, we're to be true in what we believe. We're to be courageous about the things that God's called us to do. And finally, and I, I believe very appropriately, he says, please don't do anything unless there's love attached to it. Please don't do anything unless there's some love attached to it. Even if you've got to do the hard thing, if you've got to do the tough thing, maybe you have to, as he did, sent a massive letter of correction. I mean, he's, he's writing them to answer these questions about all these problems in this church that should, should have really not come up. But even in that, he, he says, everything you do, everything you do, do it in love. There's not one person in here, including me, that can't do a better job at that part. Amen? Being loving. Just say, you know what, Lord? I'm not just going to do this thing. I want whoever I do it for or do it with to know that I love them and that the goal is love, even if it's hard things. For you know that Stephanus and his household were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they're spending their lives in service to other Christians. Man, what a statement about a family. Can that be said about your family? His family, his household. This is he, his wife, and his kids, his household. They were so involved in the ministry there that their whole household was known as a family that served the Lord. Man, what a challenge to us to raise our kids, to raise up the next generation, to help each other raise our kids, to be involved in each other's lives to be available for friendship and fellowship and communion, to, to, to stand together arm in arm, to go through trials and difficulties, to be there to pick up the pieces when people fail. That's what happens when you have a healthy church. you got family serving Jesus. And it's awesome to watch. Now he's down in my office now, is above the high school room for now, until we build the new one, which is going to be the catacombs underneath the parking lot out here. Craziness. Got some ideas. It's, it's nuts. But on Wednesday nights when the high school worship team gets here, I'm listening to them tune up. I'm listening to the kids, your kids, our kids, being raised up, whole families, being used to the Lord. Listening to my own kids. It's awesome. What a, what a calling upon our lives. And what a blessing it is to step back from that calling and go, Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to respect them fully and others like them 
Notice that phrase, and others like them who serve with such real devotion. Ministry isn't confined to this body. There are a lot of people serving the Lord Jesus all over the world who love God with every fiber of their being. And we need to encourage them as well. We need to join with them where we can and serve them where we can and be a part of their lives where we can, where we've been called. Honor them. Bless them. Maybe we got some minor point of of difference in doctrine, but if the gospel is going forth and people are being raised up to serve the Lord and love the Lord and be salt and be light, then bless them. Bless them. We want to be known uh, for that exhibition of practical Christian faith. For I am so glad, verse 17 says, that for Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius have come here. So they've been making up for the help that you weren't able to give me. And again, please read that with a positive note, not a negative one. It wasn't like Paul was complaining that they were worthless as providing for him. He says, these guys went out of their way because you couldn't come. It wasn't your time. And he says, I'm gonna, I, I, I was helped along my way by these people. We've had that as a church. Our Chapel Costa Mesa doesn't owe us a thing. And yet they partner with us in this ministry here. <laughs> Pastor Chuck didn't need to do that. He's got plenty of things to do. You see, that's the way the body of Christ works. We see a need. It shouldn't matter what church. It's just matter that it's a kingdom thing. And wherever that need is, we step out and we help. They've been wonderful as an encouragement to me, as they have been to you too. For you must give proper honor to all those who serve well. And that's why we do that. We want to honor people who serve the Lord faithfully and well. It doesn't matter that maybe they have a little bit of a spin one way or another with their doctrine. Remember, they just finished talking about the offering that they were taking to Jerusalem. It wasn't the same church. Jerusalem was a long ways away. Look at the map of the Mediterranean and see how far Jerusalem is from Corinth. It's not exactly, especially at that time. They weren't hopping on a, you know, a speedboat over to the Mediterranean coast of, of Tel Aviv or something. You know, it was a long, arduous journey. Some 1,300 miles. But they cared. That's our heart. These men were wonderful encouragement to Paul, and they were representatives of the church at large. Bless them. Bless them. I remember having lunch one time with, with Dr. Henry Blackaby. And he's, you know, he, he didn't, doesn't know me from Adam. I was at a conference and sitting across the table. And Henry Blackaby asked me how he could pray for me. He wanted to, and he wrote down my prayer request in his journal and took it with him. And he's got better things to do. He's the president of a Bible college. He's a tremendous author. You know, he has devotionals out and all kinds. Of, you know, he doesn't know. But he was an encouragement. Be an encouragement. It goes a long way. You never know what that will do on a, somebody's dark day when you've encouraged them. You just call them up and say, hey, how you doing? was praying for you. It's not trite. It's a blessing. And so he says, the churches here in the province of Asia send the greetings in the Lord as do Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather 
in their home for church meetings. He said, for the greater church at large, here's this other family, this very godly woman and her husband who, who have been involved in the lives of so many people. You know, you would think at times because of the sporadic persecution and things that were going on, people would just withdraw. That's what we do sometimes, don't we? I don't want to get my name out there. I mean, somebody might actually call me for prayer in the middle of the night. You know, I don't want anybody knowing who I am. I mean, I might actually have to love on somebody someday. Family of God, we can't be much help unless people know that we're willing to be help. As Proverbs puts it, he who desires to have friends must himself first become friendly. you got to kind of put yourself out there. And if you do that, let me give you a little bit of a word of warning. You're opening yourself up to be hurt. You're opening yourself up to be disappointed. You're opening yourself up even at times to be used. But I can tell you this, it's worth it. It's worth it. Because it's kingdom investment. Yeah, people may talk about you. Yes, maybe they're going to call it an inopportune time. Yes, maybe you're going to have to go through something you don't want to go through with that person. But there's nothing better on this earth because it matters for eternity. And to all the brothers and sisters who are here, I send greetings to you. Greet each other with Christian love, with a holy kiss. I'm not encouraging holy kissing here, by the way. It was the greeting of the day, much like we use a handshake or a hug. So you can stay with the handshake, the hug thing. You run around kissing people, we'll need to get larger bodies of ha- bottles of hand sanitizer. <laughs> You know what's neat about that? It was genuine. It was real. It was a sign of affection. It was a sign of endearment. It wasn't some fakey, oh, how you doing, bro? (laughs) Awesome, man. It, It actually was real. Because when you take the time to go plant a kiss on somebody's cheek or you walk over to shake their hand or give them a hug, it's a whole lot different than, hi, how you doing? It meant something. And again, don't press yourself on people. And if they are maybe a little bit resistant to that, work on them. Test the water a little bit. There are some people just not comfortable with you getting in their personal space, you know. That's kind of us. But a healthy church is a loving church, and that love shows. And I want to compliment you because that is the most common comment I get about this church. It's a loving church. And people love the Lord and love each other. Keep it up. Do more of it. Bless people. He says, for here is my greeting with my own handwriting. He's basically saying, here's the notary stamp. I write really funky, and this is it. I, Paul. He signs this one. It was the real deal. It was from Paul the Apostle. For if anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Isn't that the truth? He's not saying he wants them to be cursed. He's making a statement of truth. He says, man, we all love the Lord and we're loving on each other. But if someone doesn't know the Lord, they're cursed. They're cursed to walk this life without the love of God. They're cursed to walk this life in their own wisdom and in their own strength. They're cursed to go through everything according to the will of the world. And you know what? That's not good because the world will chew you up, spit you out quicker than a New York minute. 
I've always wondered, what is a New York minute? Is it like less than 60 seconds? A nanosecond. Two one hundred billionths of a second. I don't know. But I know this. You don't know the Lord. You are cursed. Not because God wants you so, because you've chosen to be so yourself. Without Christ, you're missing the one element in life that gives life meaning. Because we now have eternal purpose. We get to go home to be with Jesus. When all this is done, there's an end. Life has purpose again. And then he ends finally with, Lord, come. To the non-believer, he says, you're an anathema. To the believer, he says, Maranatha. It's weird that they sound nearly the same, don't they? Isn't that the way the enemy works? That's the way the enemy works. Kind of gets you a little bit confused. Oh, and I actually had a guy come to me one time. He says, you know, I'm an anathema. I'm going, well, that's not good. You want to be thinking Maranatha, not anathema. They sound the same, but two totally different places, okay? Saints, ain'ts, wheat, tear, sheep, wolves. You get the picture? That's what we want for everybody. We want people to know Jesus, to know his love, to know his forgiveness, to be blessed. We can pass that along to a future generation to send people the same message. Why you're going to hear, well done, enter into my kingdom of rest. Amen? Amen. And absolutely, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this wonderful letter. And Lord, though it's been hard at times and it's, it's pierced us at times, and God, as we've struggled over some of the difficult things that, it, that have been taught to us, we recognize that the result of that is that And for those of us who know you, we cry out, Maranatha, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And Lord, we pray for those who are not part of the kingdom. They've chosen to be a wolf amongst the sheep. Maybe they're comfortable being a tare in the wheat field. Maybe they're okay being an ain't with the saints. God, we pray that you just reach into those hardened hearts. And God, let us be the instrument of your love. Lord, whether it's one of our kids or one of our pastors, we pray that no one ever walks through the doors of this place without knowing about the love of Jesus. And we offer that up as the only hope for eternity, the only hope for our present, that you, Lord Jesus, would change and transform lives one at a time and then change and transform this world when you come again. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.